Well, we come now to our introduction to systematic theology lesson. Recently, we've been considering the use of God's ordinary and outward means of grace with special emphasis on those primary means of the word, sacraments, and prayer. Today, we're going to conclude our section on the sacraments briefly by considering the last of these two sacraments, the Lord's Supper. And so question 96 of the Shorter Catechism asks this question, what is the Lord's Supper? The answer to the Lord's Supper is a sacrament wherein by giving and receiving bread and wine, according to Christ's appointment, his death is showed forth. And the worthy receivers are not after a corporal and carnal manner, manner, but by faith made partakers of his body and blood with all his benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth and grace. Now, just as we saw with baptiz- the baptism question, so we see here the vines have, after having defined what a sacrament is, that is an ordinance in which the benefits of the covenant of grace are represented, sealed, and applied by sensible signs. They're now going to explain to us, one, the substance of the Lord's Supper. That is, what is the spiritual reality that is being signified? What is the supper pointing us to? And then two, the benefits of partaking of that substance. And then third, the sensible signs that God gives us to represent and symbolize that reality. So first, let's talk about the substance of the Lord's Supper. What is it of the covenant of grace that is specifically being referred to in the Lord's Supper? In other words, what is the supper pointing us to? Answer is the sacrificial atonement of Jesus Christ. It is in this sacrament, as we have just heard from the catechism, that, quote, his death is showed forth. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Robert Raymond writes, the cross work of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is God's Alpha and Omega, stands at the beginning, the center, and the end of God's eternal will in all his ways and works. Christ's cross work is sacred ground. It is the church's holy of holies, unquote. Beloved, without the cross work of Christ, there is no salvation. There is no hope. There is no gospel. And we're just wasting our time here. Why? Because as we rehearsed last week when we talked about baptism, Every sin that you commit violates the holy character of an infinite God, and thus it deserves infinite punishment. And there is not a single thing that you can do to make yourself right with God. God demands perfection on our part, and that is simply not possible for us. Our Lord said in Matthew 5:48, "You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." And it is one of the functions of God's law to act as a mirror which reflects both the perfect righteousness of God and to show us our own sinfulness. Paul wrote in Romans 3.20, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And so as we reflect on our own sinfulness via the law, The law then drives us to look for a solution outside of ourselves because there's nothing we can do. 
And so where does the law drive us to? What is that solution? Well, the second person of the Trinity took on our human nature, a reasonable soul and body, and he offered himself as a sacrificial death in which he bore our curse. He paid our debt. He endured the rejection that our sins deserve, and he died our death. And in this, Christ actually accomplished and secured everything the elect need for salvation. Salvation from their sins, salvation from God's wrath and curse. Again, as Raymond writes in some, he did not simply open the way of salvation to all men and promise to aid them if they would also do something to procure it and keep it their own, nor did he simply make the salvation of the elect possible. Rather, he actually did everything necessary to the infallible securing of the salvation of the elect, his people, his sheep, his own, even those whom the Father gave to him, unquote. In John chapter 6, starting with verse 25, we read these words. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has sent his, set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that everyone has seen the Father, except that he is, who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Beloved, this is the work that the second person of the Trinity accomplished for those whom the Father chose to save in that covenant of redemption. Christ alone could atone for our sin. Christ alone could appease God's wrath. Christ alone could remove God's alienation. And Christ alone could redeem sinners from the curse of the law and the guilt and power of sin. And it is this that the sacrament of our Lord's Supper points us to. Calvin writes, The purpose of the sacrament is made clear, that is, to exercise us in the remembrance of Christ's death. For the command to us to, quote, declare the Lord's death till he comes, 1 Corinthians 11, in judgment means nothing else than that we should, by the confession of our mouth, declare what our faith recognizes in the sacrament. And it is this, that the death of Christ is our life. So that's the substance. Secondly, in the Lord's Supper, God not only recalls to our memory the death of Christ and what it accomplished, but he places in the hand of faith the benefits of that death. Notice in the catechism answered that in this sacrament we are, quote, by faith made partakers of his body and blood with all his benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. Beloved, it is by the Spirit working through the word that the blessing is ministered to us and sealed upon us. But notice that this blessing is represented and presented to us in the bread and wine. Last week, we saw how water cleanses, and thus we saw an analogy in baptism to the work of the Holy Spirit, applying the blood of Christ to us that cleanses of our sin, of our guilt and pollution. Well, what are bread and wine known for? In short, they're food, they're nourishment. And so that is what they represent spiritually. In this sacrament, we are served spiritual food. As by the mouth we receive the bread and wine, to the nourishment of our bodies, so by faith we receive the body and blood of Christ unto everlasting life, as we just heard in John 6. Again, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. The food is Jesus Christ himself, and we must continually feed upon him for life. Robert Goffrey writes, We will only find life in Christ when we seek the substance of Christ in his flesh. For as soon as we depart from the sacrifice of his death, we encounter nothing but death. In Christ's flesh was accomplished man's redemption. In it a sacrifice was offered to atone for sin, and in obedience yielded to God to reconcile him to us. That flesh of Christ is our food. We are to feed upon the word to be sure, but as Calvin would say we must also feed upon Christ too, on Jesus himself, who offers himself and all his benefits to us in the supper. Because it is only by being in and with Jesus that we can find redemption, 
And that is why the supper is so important to us, so central in our lives. It draws us back to the center and heart of the gospel. It is, you see, a visible word. And the visible word declares to us that there is salvation only in the body and blood of Christ. That body and blood are not just off, are not just offered uh, once and for all offered on the cross as a past and finished thing, but that body and blood, that real Christ, continues to be a life-giving spirit among us. It is our present union with Christ that builds us up and strengthens us. It is only as we seek union with the true Christ that we can be built up in that way. Moreover, as Calvin says, that promise of communion with Christ is offered in the sacrament to everyone. He says, truly, he offers and shows the reality there signified to all who sit at that spiritual banquet, although it is received with benefits by believers alone who accept such great generosity with true gratefulness of heart. Calvin says the sacrament is like rain from heaven. It comes down as the offer and promise of God of new life in Christ, but like rain, it falls on different kinds of ground. When it hits ground prepared by faith, it comes as a blessing, a nourishment, and a source of growth. But when it hits the hard rock of unbelief, it is still the same offer and promise, but it flows away with no profit to the soul. And so we see that faith remains crucial to this sacrament. It is only the faithful who will know Christ. It is, but when the faithful come to the table, they meet Christ himself. And what Christ represents in this table is that he presents to faith as life-giving nourishment. And then lastly, very briefly, let us now consider the signs involved in the supper. We have already noted that the Lord's death is shown forth and is represented by bread and wine, the bread representing his body and the wine representing his blood. But in the history of the church, there has been much debate over the actual uh, the relationship between the actual body and blood with the bread and the wine. Even among the reformers, there has been debate. And a lot of that debate stems around the words of Christ when he said that his, the bread is his body and the wine is his blood. Now, one of the reasons when we first started this whole section on sacraments, that I, I remember I did a whole lesson just on the meaning of sacrament and what the essential elements of a sacrament are. And I did that for a reason because I wanted you to keep that in mind as we work through baptism in the Lord's Supper so that we would avoid some of these erroneous opinions that others have. If you remember, recall that in our understanding of the Lord's Supper, it is grounded in an important distinction between the sign and the seal, the thing that signified, and there's a sacramental union that exists between the sign and that which it signifies. There's this threefold distinction and this arises directly from the words of the institution spoken by Jesus himself. When Jesus speaks of the bread as his body and the wine as his blood, we can take him at his word without resorting to confusing the sign, that is the bread and the wine, with what is signified, that is Christ's body and blood. Just as Paul called Christ the rock in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, so too the bread is Jesus' body. Not because the bread miraculously turns into the thing signified, as the Roman Catholics teach, but because Christ can speak of the bread, that is the sign, as though it were the thing signified, his body, because there is this sacramental union that exists between the sign and the thing signified. 
So we have to keep this in mind when we, with respect to his human nature, the man, Christ Jesus, is just that. He's a man. He has a reasonable soul and a human body. He's like us in every way, yet without sin. And this Jesus, we're told, ascended into heaven. And he's no longer with us with respect to his human nature. Yet at the same time, there is a real spiritual presence of Christ in the sacrament. So even though Christ's true human nature is in heaven, the believer receives all of his saving benefits because through faith, the Holy Spirit has united the believer here on earth to Christ in heaven. So too, Christ can be in heaven and the believer can receive his true body and blood because the same Holy Spirit ensures that those already in union with Christ receive his true body and blood when they take the bread and the wine in faith. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 10. There he shows that when we participate in a sacramental meal, we're doing more than just eating bread and drinking wine. We are actually partaking of a real fellowship and a real communion with Christ. He writes in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So we reason from this, that our eating in this sacrament is not physical, but spiritual. We truly receive Christ by faith and not by the mouth. In the words of the institution, the body of Christ is not brought down to us, as the Lutherans argue. Rather, the believer is able to feed upon Christ who sits at God's right hand through the power of the Holy Spirit who ensures that we truly receive what is promised. We receive Christ by faith. And through faith, the Spirit ensures that we receive the true body and blood of Christ, which is in heaven, because we are in union with him. Remember that emphasis that I put with baptism last week about being in union with Christ. In this sacrament, that union is confirmed. Augustine said, believe and thou hast eaten. And I'll close with these words from Robert Goffrey. When Christ's people come in faith to the table of the Lord, the word and the spirit unite the communicants to Christ in all his blessings. Christ promised not to leave his followers as orphans, and he has fulfilled that promise in the Spirit, in the Word, and in the sacraments. All his promises are fulfilled and confirmed in faithful reception of the Lord's Supper. My body, which is for you, is given to his people. How graciously and wonderfully Jesus continues to provide for and come to his own. Friends, this is the heart of the Reformed doctrine of the Lord's Supper as it's presented to us in Scripture. Christ is sacramentally present with his people through the supper as we feed upon him in faith. And that will conclude our lesson for today.